Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that we've been lucky enough to implement here for over two years now. The product in and of itself is exactly what you need it to be, guys, with options ranging from being a workout provider, as in sending the workout directly to the student-athlete's phones, to being a place where you can communicate with them and bring together multiple streams of data to be its own dashboard for you, your coaching staff, or the athletes. Or you can use what we've added to our, our menu of Coach Me Plus activities, and that's Hydration Station, where all of this information that is provided is based off of research from the Corey Stringer Institute, where we're looking at weighing in versus weighing out and then providing optimal hydration uh, strategies for the student-athletes by them selecting through the menu and tapping on what they'll take home with them and what they're consuming prior to the next practice um, when all the numbers at the top are lined up green. It's something we've had really good success with and the kids have really bought in on. Just another great example of the awesome product that you can find at coachmeplus.com. Guys, hop over to coachmeplus.com today and check it out. It's a product I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content it provides, be sure to hop over and check out the community. The community is an exclusive members website that is just an extension of what we do here in July at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. What it is is a combination of video lectures, a coach's corner with your Monday morning take-home information, and a forum where you can talk about anything and everything related to the field of strength and conditioning. In the community, you'll find content added each month from some of the top practitioners in the world, ranging from PhDs to high-level coaches, bringing you exactly what they're doing with their athletes or their research at the present moment. On top of that, an additional discussion by coaches bringing you that Monday morning information, things that you can add to your training program right away. Tying that in with the opportunity to discuss with coaches around the world in the forum on anything and everything from the topics addressed in these presentations to whatever you're seeing in your daily life as a coach. If this sounds like the right thing for you and your staff, go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and try it out for 48 hours for just a dollar. If you like it, you're signed up, ready to roll, and you're jumping into all the great content added each month. If not, feel free to go ahead and cancel at any time. No questions asked. We're really excited about what we're building in the community and hope you are too. Go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down and talking with Plainfield North High School's Tony Holler about speed training. Guys, we are going to get right into it, and Tony is going to break down his training weeks, what they're looking at, and, and how they actually set up this minimal dose, micro dose program that he runs. Um, we get into his idea of herding cats and how that has built the program, and then why they've been successful utilizing these methods with these student-athletes. Uh, Tony breaks down the goals each day, Monday through Saturday, what they're doing with these kids, the goals of each session, and gives examples of exercises that they're using. Uh, and we also talk about how this bleeds into football and how there's been success there and what some misconceptions and fears are that coaches have when they start to implement a program like this. You know, when we finish off, you know, if we're talking with Tony, we got to talk a little bit about RPR. So we finish off talking about that and the direction that it's moving and some really awesome benefits that Tony sees with it. 
This is a really awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Tony, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, listen, man. I, I would uh, let's start out with a little bit of a background. Let's let the, I don't know, the one and a half people maybe listening to this that don't know who Tony Holler is, uh, just a quick, you know, Spark Notes version of, of where you're at, where you've been, and, and what you're doing right now. Sure, I'm a 37 year teacher. Uh, this is my 37th year. Uh, I, I teach honors chemistry five times a day. Uh, I've been a football coach. I've been a basketball coach. I'm a head track coach. I'm probably known for my ideas on speed. Uh, 20 years ago, I, I came up with a with an idea of a program called Feed the Cats, where we try to attract cat-like animals to our uh, um, to our program. In other words, fast twitch athletes, and then we train them as fast twitch athletes. Uh, people say I'm low dose. I think. The more I, I see other coaches who call themselves low dose, I think I micro dose, which is uh, which I think separates me from from most other coaches, with the exception of probably my friend Chris Corfist. Um, uh, my teams have won some state championships, and I speak across the. Uh, I've become kind of a national speaker as of late. Uh, this year, I've spoken in, uh, to Michael Boyle's group out in Boston. I just got back from California, uh, Kansas City, Green Bay, and so uh, I, I kind of get around that way. And and probably the thing that's uh, that's really changed my life in the last five years, I started writing. So I have like a, maybe 125 articles out there, and uh, yeah, you can just find it by searching my name. Fantastic, you know, and, and the contributions back to the field are always greatly appreciated. And I think, though, that the one spot that we should probably start with to get to the speed work is let's talk about dosing. I think, you know, because minimal dosing is really a sexy term right now. Let's talk about how you plan the week and how you manipulate these volumes and intensities, uh, because how you guys do it, it, it is pretty interesting. Yeah, let's just show maybe a, a preseason track week for us. Uh, on a Monday, we'll, we'll do what we call a speed day. Uh, speed day might be 40-yard dashes. Oftentimes, we will, uh, we will time the last 10 meters of that 40-yard dash to get a, a fly time. Sometimes, we just go straight fly of 20 yards, 30 yards, sometimes 10. Sometimes, we do it on a curve, but we record, rank, and publish everything so that speed day is basically nothing more than our speed drills. We do no warm-up, no stretching. We do 10 speed drills with, with high intensity. Nobody ever gets hurt. And then we run maybe three short five-second or less runs. Uh, we follow that day with what we call X-Factor, which is anything from plyos to strength exercises to balance to depth jumps, different things that we try to get away from sprinting. On Wednesday, we go back to a sprint day and maybe we'll time something else. Uh, on, on Thursday, we'll do another X-Factor day. And then on Friday, we'll do a lactate workout. And our lactate workouts are, again, very, very much a micro dose. Uh, we, we may do the 23-second drill, which we, we run as far as we can run in 23 seconds. And kids really chase that distance. And then 10 minutes later, they do it again. Now, when they're doing this, they're spiked up and they're running fast. They get pretty acidic in between the two runs. But then we have two days off that really helps them to recover. 
So in a typical week, we would probably do two speed days, and then we call the lactate workout a speed day as well, and then two X-factor days. But our practices, all five of those practices would last less than 45 minutes. People ask what we do after that, and gee, we just go home. I love it. I love it because I think that everyone likes to talk about quality over quantity, but nobody's really doing it. Oh, it, it drives me nuts. I, I got in trouble at the Glacier Clinic last weekend in Kansas City because I posted something about uh, a college coach who was speaking at the clinic about, and he was showing his workouts, and he's a self-proclaimed low-dose guy. And and if, if my athletes would go to his university and run his sprint workouts, they would think they're travel they're they're training for a marathon or something. So. Um, so many college coaches, especially, are very high dose, in my opinion, but they call themselves low dose. So that's why I kind of adopted the word microdose. Yeah. So now let's let's talk about how it, it got to that point. You know, because for most people who get into that microdosing, as you're saying, at realm or people when they start backing off, there's there's a almost like a needed bravery to it because it is. Kind of like the whole idea of like FOMO, right? Like fear of missing out. Like you, if you're not doing all this stuff, oh my gosh, if we did enough, are we going to be ready? You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. You know, I, I think uh, I, I, I wrote in a football article that I wrote last summer that I think football coaches would rather lose than get outworked. And, and I don't know if many people say that, but I've been in football a long time and I see that where, where coaches are fearful about being outworked, and a lot of times that I believe is counterproductive. But what happened to me is 20 years ago, really a convergence of three events. One was I had a great team that happened to be middle distance runners. Uh, we got beat in the state championships when I thought we were the best team in the state. But it was hot. We got beat by a bunch of sprinters and jumpers. That was one thing. The other thing was I had a very athletic oldest son, Alec, who uh, was not quite in high school yet, and he said, Dad, I think I want to play baseball in high school, which kind of threw me, uh, you know, for a loop because, you know, if you can't convince your own kid to run track, what kind of a track coach are you? So, you know, uh, those two things really hit me. And then the third thing was I saw a great speaker from uh, from out in Massachusetts, from Wheaton College, a guy named Paul Souza, who said that he had four kids at the Division three level running in the 47s and the 400, and none of them ever ran more than 200 in practice. Those three things together began my feed the cats thing. And when you say it has to be a a leap of faith, I call it drinking the Kool-Aid. You've got to go kind of crazy to trust in a micro-dosing situation. But what happens is your kids end up being super healthy, super excited. I say that kids are really good at what they like and they're obsessed with what they love. And if, if that happens in a track and field setting, that's really unique because track and field is not a very loved sport in most schools. Um, in most schools, it's almost like practice is almost like punishment. My kids love practice. It's not a dark cloud that ruins their day like my track and field experience was. So those things all kind of came together. And when I really sold out to it, I thought, well, what I'm doing is attracting great athletes to my team. And even though they will be poorly trained, 
we're going to be, do have better talent than my opposition. But what I've found uh, over the years is that this is actually the right way to train. No, that's awesome. So let's let's talk about the the herding cats. How are you identifying these kids, and how is this moving forward? Well, uh, first of all, if you build a program based on speed and micro dosing and and keeping practice fun and and really thinking through the eyes of kids, um, when you do those things, the cats come to you. Uh, I, I get kids showing up. Uh, the te- fastest 10 kids in my school are running track this year. Uh, but in addition, I work in unison with the football program to, uh, you know, I train uh, all through December and January, about 130 athletes. Only about 30 of those guys are sprinters on my track team. So I'm training all those kids. So I'm exposing them to good speed training and all that stuff. And what happens is if, if a kid's not locked up in baseball, uh, they want to run track. So the attraction is really there, I think. And, you know, we miss a few kids and we don't understand why, but, uh, uh, but overall, every fast kid at my, uh, at my high school wants to run track. That's awesome. That's really great because I, I think that, you know, obviously getting them there is step one. So now let's talk about how you actually identify and select these exercises for these microdoses. Because going back, you were talking about those Tuesday, Thursday kind of accessory days. Yes. There's a, there's a vast array of different things you mentioned there um, and how you identify distances or, or what you are going to have these student-athletes doing when it comes to their, their timed events during the week. Yeah, well, in, in, in our, the way I laid out that week for you uh, earlier, the speed days and the X-factor days are 100% alactic. We never, ever chase an aerobic type of fitness. We never chase the lactate work until we do a lactate workout on Friday. And we always, anytime we do a lactate workout, we, we always give them a day off the next day. And by the way, track meets are also considered lactate workouts. They're very difficult. And we always take the day off the day after a track meet, sometimes two days off. Uh, so, so anyway, if you're getting back to those accessory exercises, the X factor stuff, the things that we like to do, uh, uh, we have come by, uh, having a partner like Chris Corfist, uh, basically you just have to go hang out with him in his basement. And that's all you see is X factor work. The kids are doing things that are non sprint, but yet help kids to sprint faster. Now, there may, may be things about mechanics or strengthening the glute med. Uh, we do a lot of work on stiffness and firmness. I coached a, a, just a terrific sprinter last year, a 14-year-old that ran 10.40 in the 100. Uh, that's the fastest 14-year-old 100 meters ever been run in the history of the world. Uh, Marcellus Moore is a fantastic, fantastic sprinter, only 5'6". But uh, the thing that I notice about Marcellus and all sprinters now is that they have this incredible firmness, this stiffness in their legs. There's nothing mushy in their hips, their ankles, their knees. Uh, Everything is directly lined up. And you can do a lot of that type of work without actually sprinting. So the X-Factor days are days that we try to get away from the actual sprinting. The sprinting we do is very repetitious. It's a very small dose. 
but it's a very repetitious type day. Our X-Factor days, I may see something online. Like last year, I saw somebody from Ireland post um, assisted plyos. And it's like, gee, that fits in perfectly with what we want to do. And we've done assisted plyos ever since. So any of those things, we do hurdle mobility, uh, trying to open up our hips. Uh, we did uh, we did an obstacle course one day. There's some fun things like that. So it could be literally anything that is alactic, which means less than five, six seconds, where we're not trying to get in shape. We're giving them enough rest in between repetitions so that they can go as full speed on the next one. So that's a type of, of thing we're looking at. So anything could happen on X-Factor days. Our sprint days are very, pretty much the same sprint drills and the same sprinting type activity and spikes. That's awesome. I love that. So then how does this bleed into football? Well, this is absolutely perfect training for football because football is a, is a game where you go as fast as you can. It's definitely a speed game now. Big, slow fullbacks are extinct. Uh, big, slow linebackers are extinct. Uh, I, I think I read where the linebackers these days are 30 pounds lighter than the linebackers 25 years ago because they have to cover the whole field. So, uh, so what happens in my program is kids learn how to sprint for five seconds and then recover and do it again. That is what football is all about. Uh, any, any football coach that wouldn't love to have me working with them as their track coach, off-season sprint coach, doesn't know what he's talking about because I will get them ready for football. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, that even positions that do not require speed still are drafted based on speed. Uh, I'm just shocked every year the, the biggest guys at the NFL Combine, offensive tackles, guys that have almost a sumo-type job, like a sumo wrestler, they take two steps back and they try to get in somebody's way. But still, the fastest offensive tackles to run the 40-yard dash at the Combine are the top offensive tackles picked every year. And this is not by accident. It is an absolute fact that offensive tackles that run the fastest 40 have the longest, best careers. Maybe we don't understand why, but they do. So we, we speed train everybody, and uh, our football coach has, has adopted a lot of my ideas in football where they only practice about two hours now. They don't do conditioning. They, they, um, they've adopted the idea that I have that being tired is not the goal being tired is the enemy. And once you start thinking like that, then you drink the Kool-Aid and all of a sudden kids will love your program. Uh, you'll get every kid out and they'll be ready to play or ready to, ready to run. That's fantastic. So then what pushback was there any when this started from the, the, the sport coaching staff? And then what were some directives or, or like steps that were taken for this to kind of move in that direction? Well, uh, there's no pushback when you're the head track coach like I am. Um, I have a pretty strong personality and yeah, that's just the way we're going to do things. Now our distance guys, we had 20 uh, distance runners last year in our school breaking five in the mile. So our distance program is very successful and uh, they don't feed the cats. It's, it's a different thing. They're, they chase a, uh, they chase volume. They chase 
um, the speed, endurance, lactate threshold. Uh, they, they do some fast running, but, but overall, distance training is very different. And I think that's one of the problems with track and field. I'm getting off subject here, but, but track and field is dominated by distance coaches at every level. And these distance coaches think that sprinting is like short distance running. And it's not. It's two totally different things, different energy systems. Distance runners are efficient. They don't pick their knees and feet up. Um, sprinters have to deliver huge amounts of vertical force into the track. So it's two totally different things. So I always, the first thing I tell track coaches is keep distance coaches away from your sprinters because they're going to mess them up. Uh, and I feel strongly about that. I love my distance coach. He's a great guy, but he doesn't ever mess with my sprinters. Now, in football, that's where you get the big pushback because football is almost a religion where, where, where guys were uh, semi-abused as players coming up, and, and they actually kind of look back with a fondness uh, to days that, that I would think would be almost like punishment-type activities. Um, I would fire a lot of football coaches for the things that they put their players through, but football coaches who come up through that boot camp type mentality, uh, many times just become the same coach that coached them back in the day. And so uh, they do crazy things, literally trying to get their players tired and beat up every day at practice. And then they think that somehow emotion on Friday night or Saturday afternoon, whenever you play, somehow carries them through. So I think the real pushback comes from football coaches. And I don't know if you'll ever convert a lot of them, but, um, but really all you have to do is convert the head coach because he's the boss. No doubt about it. And then I guess it would just take one good performance when the kids are all hyped up and they've actually got like a full tank of energy to go out there and smack somebody in the mouth and all of a sudden be like, huh, maybe there's something to this. Absolutely. Every coach that has adopted my football ideas has had success. And the thing that they worried about the most is that how will we play in the fourth quarter? Uh, because somehow the fourth quarter, the mythology has always been that that doing those gassers at the end of practice and having people puking and, and crawling off the field and all those uh, terrible things, um, somehow that's what makes you a good fourth quarter team. Uh, that mental toughness that you gain through going through paramilitary activities. And uh, what what guys that have started to feed the cats in football have found is that their fresh and fast athletes dominate the fourth quarter, which is kind of counterintuitive, but I totally see it because my undertrained, fresh and fast athletes are very, very good in the 400 meters. Uh, you would think that the kids that work the hardest, that have the hardest workouts, would be the best in the 400, but it's actually the fastest kids that win. Yeah, you know, and I don't remember who it was I was talking to. It actually might have been Chris um, in his interview where we talked about the 400, and it doesn't matter how in shape you are. At the end no. of the 400, no. you are dying. <laughs> well, and, and see, we are targeting the exact system. I call it amplification through simplification. And we are targeting the exact system when we do a lactate workout. When we do what we call a four by four predictor, where we will run a 200 meters at nearly full speed, three minutes later, run another one, 
three minutes later run another one. That's only 600 total meters of work. Most track coaches would say, well, gee, is that an easy day for No, that is like one of the hardest days I've ever seen because my athletes go so hard in it. The energy system that's required to run the 400 meters. Whereas if we would go out and run 12 400s at a sub, far sub-max pace, because you can't run fast, you'll probably run 12 of them in 62 seconds each. There is no way that running 62 second quarters train you to run a 48 second quarter. There's no way. It is totally, uh, and coach, so many coaches still do it. That's crazy because that's almost 50% slower. Yes, it's, it's, it's absolutely nuts. But yet, you know, once again, we've been, we've been raised with this post-World War II athletic model where when, when guys got back from the war, they wanted to create a near army-like feeling among high school kids to turn boys into men and have them have this wonderful bonding experience like they had over in Germany. And, and so that's really dominated sports culture for so long that, uh, that I, I really think uh, many coaches put a higher priority on turning boys into men than turning boys into great athletes. And for me, there's no choice. Yeah. And well, I, I guess that my next question is why does there have to be a separation between the two? Oh, I, 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 I think, uh, I think that's a great point. When I say that I choose not to be paramilitary, um, in my coaching, um, I believe that, that, that boys that are trained to be great athletes will develop that bonding experience with their teammates, just the same as if they were going through more grueling like workouts. And I believe that, um, that your, uh, your overall experience in sports is, is highly predicated on your success, whether or not you win. I think winning situations create just incredible memories, incredible friendships, and, and many times being on the losing side does not create the same positive experience. So if, if you can go out and perform really, really well, uh, I think you can do that with microdosing. I think you, you can do that with loving practice loving your sport and uh and then you go out and win when you compete boy it's just it's, it's a great thing and i think that's why I, I think this whole thing has had a great when i started feeding the cats 20 years ago i think it's really helped me because see i love coaching more now in my 37th year than i've ever loved it because uh because our practices are short my kids perform well um i reflect my kids enthusiasm there's nothing worse than going to a practice, with, a track practice, with a group of kids that their first question is, Coach, do we have to run today? <laughs> and that happens. Oh. That uh, This is track and field. No, no our, kids, our kids never forget their, um, their spikes. They love to sprint. They love to get timed. I put stuff out on Twitter every night, you know, about kids that PR and practice and all that stuff. And... Uh, it's just a totally different way to look at things. That's fantastic. And I think, too, like going back and, and the idea of it being more than just the dosing, like understanding that like 
Do you have to work hard to get ahead? Yes. But you have to work hard at doing the right things to get ahead. Work smart. A hundred percent. Yes. And, and there is no inherent value for simply working hard. Uh, I love the quote that any fool can get another fool tired. Uh, and, and I think that the worst coaches sometimes have the hardest practices. And it's, and part of it is because I have four, had four, well, I have four grown up kids and I watched them go through some abusive programs. And, um, and you have to realize there was a study done just, uh, just recently to say that high school students now spend more time working at high school on their high school activities than their parents do on their job. Uh, these kids, my chemistry class starts every day at 7.05. They're, the last thing I want to do is send my track athletes home beaten up and sore and tired and, and non-functional. I want them to go home with some gas in their tank. I want them to be able to sit at the dinner table and speak in a happy way. Uh, and I just saw with my own sons that many times they'd come home from football practice and go to bed. They were that beat up. And, you know, I don't think that's a healthy thing for any 16-year-old. No, not at all. And it's funny that you, you say it like that because I actually had some people in the weight room today with, with our redshirt kids, and there were a couple questions about, like, well, why aren't you like this or why isn't it like that? And I'm like, listen, one, I'm going to have these guys for five years. So if I just go crazy now, what am I going to do in 36 months, let alone 60 months? And then two, if I destroy these kids in the morning before class and they go to their nine o'clock and pass out, now they're getting in trouble. I'm the reason they got in trouble. So everybody's <laughs> mad at me. Like there's no point to it. All you're doing is is ruining everything at that point. Yep. And I think that the the more I'm around it, I see that the incremental gains on a consistent basis when you tie that into a very positive outlook, when they love what they're doing, that, that that works so much better than filling the cup full every day and letting it spill and letting the central nervous, you know, I don't know about you, but I talk all the time about the central nervous system crashes and I really don't know what that means, but I can kind of see it when it happens and I don't want it to happen. Uh, I, I want my kids to be mentally fresh and physically fresh for every workout. One of the things I say is that I never let today's workout ruin tomorrow's workout. And that's talking about incremental gains. Now, if you say, well, wait, coach, your lactate workouts, uh, those are pretty hard. And yes, they are. I say there's a 48-hour hangover after a lactate workout, but we don't have a workout the next day. So I'm not ruining the next day's workout. We are taking that day off sometimes two days off. So when that happens, when there's a positive mental attitude and you just get a little better every day and you never get injured, it's amazing how growth is really pretty good. No, 100%. And that's kind of like the I, – I have this conversation with kids all the time, especially when they're coming back from injury because that's when they really seem to want to like go crazy with pushing themselves because it's – They've been out. They want to do this and that. And it's like you always have to remember, kids, you can do more tomorrow, but you can never do less yesterday. I love that. Yeah. 
That's for sure. I totally agree. And, then, and, and, it's, and it's even better when they don't get hurt. <laughs> no yeah. doubt. I mean, because no. get, getting injured ruins your 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 consistency, and and that and then it starts messing with your mental stuff. And uh, boy, if if, if microdosing pre- prevents fifty percent of all injuries, maybe we should be doing it. No doubt about it. I mean, yeah, there's always going to be the crazy things that happen, right? Like, yep. you you step off a a curb and and roll an ankle, or you know, we can talk about different times of, you know, and hormonal complexes and things that can be, have a bigger impact on, on ACL injuries than, than maybe they're getting credit for right now. But yeah, I think that the stupid ones, if we can eliminate those, we should. Isn't that what we say we do? Absolutely. And you know, another thing that, uh, that Corfist and I are, are really big on, of course, is the reflexive performance reset, the RPR stuff. Uh, since RPR, uh, I have not had a, uh, a single hamstring injury with a sprinter in five years. Uh, my guys never have shin splints. Um, we, I think we run faster than we have a right to. Uh, so, so the RPR stuff is, is really a, a central part of my program. And, of course, um, you know, Chris is a, an owner of, of the whole thing, and mm-hmm. it's pretty good stuff. No, and it, it is. And Cal raves about it, and really anybody who's been to the, to the the courses raves about it. Yeah, I um, I, I just spoke uh, last week in Kansas City, and I'm always thinking. I, I spoke six times, and I'm always thinking the RPR thing is the one thing that's not track and field, and I'm always kind of concerned. Like, oh gee, I hope hope people show up. I hope they're interested. And we had a great crowd and people. It's probably the most popular presentation I do. And it's just really just demonstrating it. Because when they see what can happen, you know, after a, a 10-minute session, uh, you know, athletes are better athletes in 10 minutes, which is a pretty powerful thing to say. No doubt. That's awesome. Well, Tony, let, let me get you out of here on this. Where can people find more about you? Where are you on the social and, and the Internet? Um, Twitter is probably my biggest presence. Uh, it's at PN track, like Plainfield North at PN track. Um, you can Google my name, um, and then find, I think, you know, all my articles and stuff. I'm also, uh, the co-owner of the track football consortium. That's a biannual event. Uh, we're going to have a, a major, we had Carl Lewis as our guest speaker, um, last December, uh, the year before, we had Stuart, <clears throat> Stuart McMillan from Altus. Uh, we have a huge football lineup coming in uh, in June. So anyway, you can go to the trackfootballconsortium.com. We've started to publish our articles at that side in the blog section. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I think pretty much uh, uh, people get a hold of me if they get any of that stuff. You can get a hold of me through email or phone or whatever. Fantastic. Tony, I can't thank you enough, man. This is absolutely killer stuff. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jay. Have a good time. Yeah, appreciate it. And a huge thanks to Plainfield North High School's Tony Holler for sitting down and talking with us today. Guys, open, honest, candid sharing. Fantastic stuff. Tony, thank you for everything you're doing to move the field forward with your writing, with your clinics, and with everything that you're doing. Guys, make sure you're giving him a follow on on Twitter, at PNTrack. And make sure you're following Track Football Consortium 
uh, as well because they are putting out fantastic content. So, Tony, thank you very much for being so open, honest, and candid with us today. And, and thank you for everything you're doing to drive the profession forward. It is greatly appreciated. And again, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Again, we're just trying to get the best information out there that we possibly can to all the great coaches that are helping us grow here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. And as always, guys, thank you for everything you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.